Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. Hey, everybody. Before we get started on today's episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast, I just wanted to share something really exciting with you that I've been working on called Foundations. And this is really building foundations in order to live a life of excellence. You know, for me, many of you know my story. Um, I have achieved uh, many levels of success. I found joy in many different areas of my life. And I've been setting and achieving goals for more than 20 years. And then tragedy struck. And among other things, I was drawn into this season of reflection, really a gut check to understand what I was pursuing, who I was becoming, and even who I was in that moment. It was such a fruitful opportunity for me going back to the beginning and relaying the foundation and getting clear on who I was. And through that season, 2019 has been the most joy-filled year of life I've ever lived. And now I want to share that with you. That's why I created this foundations program. It's a 90-day opportunity for you to do what I was able to do and hopefully to enable you to live the best year yet in 2020. So you can go to ryanjamesmiller.com slash foundations to check it out. With that, enjoy this next episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Good morning. Merry Christmas season. No, Advent season. We're in church. I forgot. We say Advent, right? Hope everyone's doing well. It's a nice Sunday. We're in week two of our series on living a life to the glory of God. Um, Last week, Pastor Tony uh, really set the stage for uh, this idea that we, in all domains of life, are called to live a life to the glory of God. And I figured the best way for me to recap that was just to borrow my 10-year-old daughter's sermon notes from last Sunday. She doesn't even know. Um, And so... Pastor Tony posed the question, what is it like to live in the glory of God? And Chloe's answer was to call out to him, to love him, and for him to love you. And then again, she said, living in such a way that you're saying something to God. And I think that that actually does a great job of recapping this opportunity that we have to live a life that glorifies the God of this universe an opportunity to answer the call that God has in our life, whether that domain be work or family or parenting or marriage or school or the public square, wherever that may be, we are called as believers in Jesus Christ to glorify God in all that we do. And so this morning, kicking off what will be the first of many topics on this, uh, this idea of living life to the glory of God, I've chosen the domain of work. And I think that this is a wonderful place for us to kick off because if you recall at the beginning of your Bible, the first thing that God does is what? He works. God bless you. God works. The very first thing that we see recorded in scripture is that God in fact works. And yet in the domain of work as it relates to us in our life and more so in culture today than any other place before, we seem to see work as an opportunity to bear our cross. 
that it's where we go to suffer, that it's where we go to struggle, that it's like the last place that we would want to be unless we absolutely had to be there. And then the only reason that we really want to be there is so we can earn enough money to provide for all of the things that we would ever need and or want. And yet what I'm hoping to pose to us today and I'm hoping for us to walk away from here today is really a redemption of this idea of work because I believe that God has so much more for us in this domain of work than we even see for ourselves. So I'm going to work through quite a few different passages, but if you want, you can turn to Genesis 1 because that's where we're going to begin and we'll cover 66 books and then, no, we won't do that. But we are going to cover some of Genesis and then we'll uh, move into Ephesians to finish off. <clears throat> so let me pray for us and then uh, we'll open up and read some scripture together. Uh, Father, we do pray that as we study this idea of work, God, as we understand what it's like to live a life to the glory of God in our vocation, God, that you would empower us to do so, that you would cause your spirit to work in us, God, to move us, maybe to redeem a broken view that we have, God, maybe for us to see a new opportunity that we have, or maybe just to reinforce the beliefs that we've lived with for so long that are so good and glorifying to you. So would you work in those ways in us this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So a couple of things that uh, I want to uh, work through. <clears throat> the first one is I want us to see the way that God works. And that, again, that may be somewhat foreign to us when we say that. Like, what do you mean that God works? Like, God doesn't have to put effort into anything. And yet, we see from the very beginning. Look at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God what? God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. In fact, meaning that God created the light. And God saw that the light was good. And then in verse 4, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the, day, the light day, and the darkness he called night. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse. Again, he worked and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Again, God worked. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which, there, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Again, God worked. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be signs for the seasons and days and years and let them be the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God worked. Verse 16, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Again, to verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Again, I'm going to say it, God worked. 
Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so because God worked. And finally, in verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We can't even get out of the book of Genesis without seeing how much emphasis God puts on this idea of work. To us today, it may be vocation. And we'll get into it in all the ways in which God calls us to that. Whether you're paid to do a job in an office, or whether you are glorifying the Lord by all of the work that you do in the home, whether it's a chore that your, hire, or your parents hire you to do or force you to do, we are all called to work because God, in fact, worked. God works to create is the whole point of the beginning of Genesis 1 as I'm laying this out to you this morning. God creates. That's how God works. But God just doesn't work to create. And again, this will relate so much to what it looks like for us later on. Because turn just to Genesis chapter 2. And skip down to uh, verse 8. Genesis 2, 8. It says, And the Lord God planted a tree, or planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just stop there. God just didn't work to create. God worked to care. God worked to care for us, to provide for us, because it was good to do so. And then Genesis 2.15, check this out. He says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God created, God cared, and then finally, God works to cultivate. He works to cultivate, so then that would go forth and ultimately provide for us today. Three areas that God works in. This means to us, church, that work is God-given. Work is not Satan-induced. It's not just God-given, though. It's good. Work is good, and we can see that because work was instituted before the fall came. And this is going to carry into every bit of how we work day in and day out, and ultimately how we glorify God in the work that we do. Because if we don't believe that work is a good call on our life, and we don't believe that the fact and idea of work was in fact good because it was created by God, then we will go into the workplace and into the world with a broken view, and we will never truly be able to glorify God in it. By the way, work is so good that in John 5, 17, and you can just reference this, 
Jesus says, my father is working until now and I am working. Even far after the fall, long after the fall, the father was working and the son was working. And clearly their work looks a little bit different than our work does. But what that demonstrates to us again is that work is good because that's the way that God works. Next, this will be very brief and then I want to spend the majority of our time in the practicality of, um, of how we work. So if work is good and work has been created by God and God in fact himself works, has, does, and always will, then we need to see work through the lens of the gospel. Because you see, pre-fall, there was nothing but good, right? And so when Adam and Eve were initially working in the garden, things were probably really good. There was no labor. There was no sweat. It was really easy. They just produced everything that they needed. I don't know. It was just, it was wonderful. The fall came. Sin entered the world. And now all of a sudden we have a broken view of everything. Because sin affects everything that we see. And the only way that we know how to ever redeem or repair or regenerate anything is by the gospel. It's only because of the gospel that we can see anything as truly good as God would see it. So seeing work through the lens of the gospel first means that we must possess a gospel worldview in work, whether we say so or not. And so I want to pause here because this is really important for me to say this. This is most easily attributed or associated to something like artistry, so like music. We hear of this genre of music called Christian music. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But here's what happens. Um, Lecrae. How many people have heard of the artist Lecrae? I heard somebody say trash. That's okay. You can have your opinion. Um, so Lecrae initially like, comes on the scene. He's a Christian hip-hop artist, rapper, whatever. Uh, he does his thing. A few years ago, he decides he wants to kind of separate himself from that genre, just that classification. And he took more of a ration on social media in about a 12-month period than Joel Osteen has taken his entire life. And that's saying a lot. Like to the point where he buried himself into his house, started feeling anxiety and depression for the first time, and actually considered committing suicide. And why? Because he no longer wanted to label himself a Christian artist. He just wanted to be a Christian that created art. That's, that says a lot about the way we see work and the way we, say the thi- we see the things that we create and even the way that we operate in the life that we do. If we see work through the lens of the gospel, then we should see that we are Christians in all that we do. Because we are Christians. We create 
Christian architectural drawings. And somehow we do Christian banking. And... (laughs) Everything that we do is in fact Christian. Because we are Christians. Because we follow Christ. But we don't need to label ourselves as such in order for people to see the God that lives in us and therefore flows out of us. We can be who God has called us to be, whether we say so or not. That doesn't mean we need to use preach the gospel and if words are necessary, that's not true. You do need to preach the gospel with words. But you don't need to label yourself a Christian something in order to be a Christian something. And by the way, you don't need to be in ministry in order to glorify God in your vocation. And as a matter of fact, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and um, he said to me like, wow, he says, you know, you're a pastor and you own your own business and you do this and you do that. And, And he says, wow, that just seems like a lot. He goes, I've always really wanted to be a pastor. That's what he said to me. And he owns his own business right now. And I said, look, man, I said, I'm going to be super duper honest with you. I would venture to say that I have, had, I have affected more people for the sake of the gospel and glorified God more in my work than I have in the pastorate. Because it's where people least expect it. And it's oftentimes where people expect the exact opposite. Like people come in here to see the show. They come in here with an expectation that you are going to be a certain way and do a certain thing. But in the workplace, they don't see that. So I want to challenge the way that we see uh, the uh, work through the gospel. So three things that come out of that. Just if we have this gospel lens in work, three things that we should see, and then I'm going to move on. Uh, to our final practicality. If we possess this gospel worldview in our work, then number one, this is so important, please hear me say these three things. Number one, we must honor God first and earn a wage second. You can just reference this if you'd like. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this. Paul says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You say to yourself, like, what? That has nothing to do with work. And here you go. It has everything to do with work. Because you are an instrument In the hands of the Redeemer, in the world, you are doing a work as unto the Lord, not as unto the company that writes your paycheck. You are called there by God, whether you actually earn money or not. Therefore, you are not your own. Therefore, you are there to honor God and earn a paycheck second. Number two. With a gospel worldview, we are called to serve others, even at our own expense. 
serving others even at our own expense. Where do I get that? I get that from Jesus. That works pretty good, right? Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Jesus called to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came into this world, God of the universe, to serve. Therefore, we are called to do the same thing. We don't get a pass because we go punch a time clock. We don't get an opportunity to set aside our call to follow Jesus just because we're getting paid to do so. And I hear so many people say that. Well, they owe me. This is my job. This is my duty. This is what I receive as the result of work I do. And I'm like, no, they don't owe you anything. Because they didn't even place you there. God did. And guess what? Even if you did owe God something, you couldn't pay him back anyway. So just go and serve out the call that God has on your life in the place that he has called you to. I mean, moms, you know this better than anybody. There's a smile. That's so true. You don't even get to say that, right? Like you don't get to like, you don't wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm just here because I'm paid to do so. You wish. Your glory is in heaven. (laughs) A while back, Julie and I had a great conversation, Pastor Tony's wife. Um, I have a podcast and we got into a lot of this discussion um, about Um, just work in the home. And this, again, is an area that so needs to be redeemed to the glory of God in so many different ways for the ways in which people look down on that, other people that elevate it to this place of like ultimate glory. But at the end of the day, let me just charge you with this, ladies, or maybe you men that are at home doing the same thing because I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that if that's specifically what God calls you to. So let me just say this to you. It's your call. And nobody, not even your husband, owes you anything for the job that God calls you to do each and every day in that home. And I say that with care And with love, knowing my wife has labored through that for the last 10 years herself and watching the challenges of doing that, knowing some of you moms that do far more work in the home than any of us could ever do in the workplace. But it's where God calls you. And if at some point you feel like that's not the place for you, then pray that God would call you to something else. But just know whether you're in the home, whether you're in the workplace, you are called to serve and serve others, even at the expense of yourself, your time, your talent, your treasure. We set that aside when we step into the call that God has on our life, regardless of where that is. And finally, in this, in this area of possessing a gospel worldview on our work, number three is we must work as unto the Lord. And I'm going to get into this more practically in a bit, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but Colossians 3.23, right? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. 
work is for the Lord. All right, here's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. But I want you to understand, uh, again, I'm going to try and keep going back to this idea of work being good. And us with the necessity to have a lens through which we look at work and that lens being the gospel. So the way we work, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. I think that's it. I hope that's it. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. I'm going to read this and then we'll work through it together. Uh, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. What a beautiful, beautiful articulation of our call to work. <laughs> Number one. So this is, if you were an employee, I'm going to come, from the, come at this from two places. If you're an employee in a company, or if you're a manager, an employer, a boss, very practically what this looks like. If you're in the home, you get to be both, I guess. That's kind of cool, right? You get two roles. Maybe that's just more burden for you. Employees first. Uh, 6.5 says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. As employees, we are called to work with respect and work with fear. Not being afraid of our bosses, but a fear of the Lord. This means, you guys, to the best of our ability, better than that, even if we can, we must honor authority. We must honor authority. I hear this, so most of you probably know, right, like Pastor Matt, Pastor Tony, myself, we all have day jobs um, that turn into night jobs because we don't get them done during the day, and then that's why you don't get phone calls back from us sometimes. Um, so I am a business consultant. I work uh, helping companies consult on their business development and sales process from two employees all the way up to my largest clients, about 1,500. I also coach one-on-one -on -one with a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, salespeople, and then I speak. So in this area of consulting, I get into some crazy, crazy stuff sometimes because like, I'm in the business trying to help with strategy, but eventually it works its way down into people. And the managers always hire me because, or the owners always hire me because it's their employee's problem. And what I really end up finding out is it's actually the owner's problem. That's a whole other story. But what I hear so often is how much people bash their boss and their employer. And here's the craziest part to me, okay? First of all, I used to do this too, right? It's been a long time since I've worked for somebody else, praise the Lord. But um, every so often, 
I mean, they, they all know I'm a pastor. It's just like, it's out there. And so then they're like, hey, pastor, I'm a Christian too. And I'm like, awesome. And then I see the way they work. And I hear the way they bash their employer. If that's you, you got to quit that right now. Frankly, I'm going to say in all the love and care in the world, I don't care how they treat you. You are called to honor the authority in the place that you work, regardless of how they treat you. Because part of Jesus' work involved him being beaten to death. Like, let that sink in for a second. You want to follow Jesus? You want this great call on your life to honor God and glorify him and ultimately point people to the same Savior that saved us from ultimate death? Step into that. But step into that by honoring the people that you work for. And I know there's plenty of circumstances in which that doesn't work out very well. And so you got another option. You just leave. You should never be so far bound to the paycheck that you earn that you dishonor the Lord by dishonoring the people that you work for. I mean, that's heavy, right? Because for some of you, you're like, if I don't take a paycheck, I don't eat. Then you better bear it. And you better find a way to honor them because your only other option is to quit and go find yourself another job. It is not to dishonor that person because ultimately you're dishonoring the Lord and that is not glorifying to God. That's just one thing. On top of that, as an employee, make an honor or make an effort, every effort to fulfill requests and Find privilege in the work that you get to do. You don't have to go to work. Because I guarantee you, you're going to come across somebody in your life that would love to go to work and can't. Whether that's because they're physically unable to do so, or because they cannot find a job for themselves. They would love to go and do the job that you do and collect any sort of money for it. You don't have to go to work. You get to go to work because God has called you to do so. Do that well. So first, as an employee, was to work with respect and fear. Number two is to work with sincerity of heart. That's the second part of verse five. It says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Sincerity of heart here, to the best of my understanding, particularly as it relates to the work that we do, means this. Have a Christian ethic. Have a, have a biblical ethic. Have a pure heart with the work that you do. There are a few things like, so again, when I'm consulting, I'm working with employees, and at some point we always get into this question of time management, right, and productivity. They're like, I'm, I have no more time in the day. So I'm like, great, let's do an analysis of what your day looks like. And we go through and, and we work through that. And typically people, you know, they, they're clocked in for nine hours, right, with breaks and lunch or whatever. 
what I typically find is most people work about four hours a day of productive time. If you think you're any different from that, I, I'm going to challenge that, by the way, uh, and I would love for you to do this on yourself. Um, except for the guy that's also mandated to sit in the classroom and have everybody stare at him all day long. That's a little bit different. But if you were to do this every time, on the clock, on the clock, every time that you check social media, you're off the clock. Every time that you go to take a phone call, you're off the clock. Every time that you check the internet for something else, you're off the clock. Every time you take a mental break because that's what you just have to do in the middle of the day, you're off the clock. And guess what? Ultimately, particularly when you're doing so because you are driven to do something other than work in the middle of the day when you are working, you're stealing from your job. I mean, there's no way around it. You're getting paid. You're on their time. But you're doing things on your time. That's a hard one to consider. But if we're thinking about what God calls us to, to work with all integrity, to work as though Christ worked, then we would honor the place that we worked and we would live out that call by working each and every minute of each and every day that we're called to work and get paid to do so. Number three, as an employee, work hard always. This is verse six. It says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Do not just work to please or to show off or only when other people are watching. Again, you're up for a promotion and all of a sudden you get all your stuff together. You get really, really productive. You're structured. You're doing everything that you're supposed to do. You don't get the promotion and you just go back to doing things the way you used to do them before. I mean, that happens. It's so easy. Like when the boss is around, like, how many people have heard the phrase like, would you do that if Jesus was sitting right next to you? I mean, first of all, kids, he's sitting right next to you. Right now. God sees it all. So that doesn't work. But the other side of it is, is like, what if your boss was sitting right next to you? You should never have to ask that question. You should work as though the Lord was staring at you the whole time. If I could make that a biblical case, I can't, but do not just work hard for a certain circumstance or because you're up for more money. Or because you're afraid to lose your job. Like, I know a, a, a lot more of you guys out here in the way that you work than the ladies only because I spend a lot more time with you guys. And I think of guys like Jesse. So <clears throat> that guy, he lives to work. Right, Jesse? Jesse smirks. He's like, ah, whatever, I just work. But he will work and work and work to the best of his ability. And I don't think, as, as long as I've known him, I don't think anything has ever changed the way he's worked because he so much loves the opportunity God has given him to do the things that he does. And if he told you what he did, 90% of you would not want to spend a second doing it, right? But to him, he loves it. He just lights up doing it. 
Work hard. Each and every day. As unto the Lord. Ladies. Right? Danger zone when I say ladies and then I say what I'm about to say. I know. But I love you enough to say this. Don't slack off around the house if that's what God has called you to do. That's going to look different for all of you. I get that. But if every day is just this hamster wheel of I'll get to it tomorrow, there's something that's off. And I'm going to encourage you to find some structure. Find some other ladies that have done that well and can help you through that. You must work hard. Please do so. And lastly, as an employee, work with a good will. That's verse 7. It says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Have a joyous heart when you work. I mean, do you understand here, like we're talking about living a life to the glory of God. We go into this domain of work, which I believe is just one of the many that God calls us to. I don't see them as silos. I see work as just another calling that God has on my life, probably yours as well. But as we, as we think about going to work, if we worked with respect and fear, with a sincerity of heart, always working hard and with a joyous heart, with goodwill, like how far apart would that set you from 99% of the workforce? What would that do to demonstrate to other people that you're different? You don't even have to call yourself a Christian yet. Like, this is the beauty of doing these things. So, um, I get to talk about myself because I'm preaching. I will tell a story of yours if you would like me to. But um, I once was on a podcast and I had somebody ask me this, no joke. Like, how can you do all those things as a salesperson and not lie or cheat about it? How can you be successful as a salesperson and not have done something to undercut somebody? Because it's like the top two or three most dishonest profession as they rate them. Pastors become like number one. Why? Because God's called me to do so. And I remember, by the way, what my life was like previous to coming to Christ in the workplace and what it is like now. Because before, I wasn't so much about like cheating people or tricking people. Like I can sell my way out of just about anything. But it wasn't so much that as it was, as it related to my work. So uh, there was a period of time I worked for a large publicly traded corporation. Uh, I was one of about 150 salespeople. But I found myself in the top one or two salespeople the entire five years that I worked there. So I was just fortunately very successful. I was not a Christian for the first two years of working there and then became a Christian. During that time though, even as an infant Christian and not getting the whole like, God is actually like calling me to do something way of life. And so I would hit my numbers early in the month and then I would go play golf. Like three days a week on my company. Because I could always find somebody to call a client. And we played some really nice golf courses I can't afford to do that now. And I'm my own boss. It's really, I'm not a good boss to myself. Also, my boss would call me. 
Where are you? What are you doing? Oh, I'll be there in a little bit. Just at home hanging out. Haven't even gotten ready for the day yet. I'll take a phone call or two. I became a Christian, and once it finally started to impact me, I remember specifically a time that my boss called me. I missed the day before. And I had to be super honest. And for the first time, I like felt compelled to not lie to her. It was a terrible feeling that worked its way out very, very well over a long period of time. The more that I've been able to do that, the more that people see that I am truly out to serve my clients first, even at the sacrifice of myself, that I'm able to take myself out of certain situations that may be compromising to me, that I'm not willing to lie, that I won't overcharge, that I'll give people money back if they don't get what they've asked for, that I have an ethic above most other people in my profession, that glorifies Jesus far more than me telling them that I'm a pastor and they can come to church and I'll preach to their face because they probably will never find their way into this building. So much so that I even officiated a wedding of a woman I met at a networking event. Two non-believers trying to find their way back to Jesus. Michelle and I got the opportunity to sit down and counsel them for three separate sessions, talking about all the ways that God was working to redeem their life from all the things poorly they had done in the past. It was an amazing opportunity because I was just willing to honor God with the work that I was given. And I know all of you have the opportunity, if not all of you are doing that. It is just something that we need to continue to do as employees. And then finally, as employers, so if you are a boss in any capacity, if you own a business, moms, this is you too. You are the boss of all you kids. Kids, your mom is your boss. Till dad gets to know. <laughs> As a boss, as an owner, as a manager, number one, you are a fellow slave. Kids are like, yeah. They don't understand that enough to know. Verse nine says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. You too are a slave. All of the above things, Again, I hear these crazy things all the time. Like, I can't wait to be a manager so I can boss people around and nobody bosses me around anymore. I'm like, look, yo, you got another thing coming. And as a matter of fact, when all the crud starts to come out, it doesn't roll downhill. It rolls uphill. It like goes against all science, right? You are no better. You are no different. You are no more valuable than anybody that works for you. No more whatsoever. This is why, by the way, when I consult companies, I try and break down and remove as many titles as possible. I hate titles. I hate directors of, I don't like hate the people, I hate the title. Managers, like, unless they're absolutely necessary, all it does is create levels of hierarchy in a company that are not necessary. Because very, very few and far between are they actually being used to enable and empower people to do good things. It's just used so the person above them doesn't have to yell at the people below them anymore. And so they just put somebody in between to do all that work for them. And that person has no ability to do that. But no matter what, if you here are a boss of any kind or an owner of any kind, please know 
that you should see yourself as the least of these, not the greatest. Number two, do not threaten. Do not threaten. Paul says right here, stop your threatening. Fear should never be used to motivate anything. Except kids, if you do that one more time. (laughs) But really, there are so many better ways to motivate people to do the things that you would like them to do than to fear them into it. Than to threaten them. Fear does not motivate. God-honoring character does. And where it doesn't, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Because all you're called to do is honor God in the work that you're doing. And lastly, as an employer, as a boss, as a manager, treat everyone the same. Finally, Paul says there is no partiality with him. We must treat everyone the same. Like we've been going through the book of Revelation, we know that in the end we are going to be worshiping the Lord with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. We have an opportunity to do that very same thing in the workplace. You know, there... It's a very, very hard topic to discuss in a soundbite, but I do want to say something to this. Right now, more than ever before, there is so much contention around partiality in the workplace, right? Do people of different gender, of different race, of different sexuality get treated differently in the workplace than others? My answer is 100% yes. Do we need to do things to elevate women to places that they have not been elevated to ever before in the history of this country inside the workplace? Absolutely. No question about it. But if you think that some worldly structure or movement is ever going to ultimately solve the partiality problem in this world, you have another thing coming. Only God will ever be able to break down that barrier, to close that gap between the way a world sees a man and a woman in the workplace. That doesn't mean that we don't make every effort to do the best that we can to help support women as they're moving through the workplace. That's not as though we don't help people of other races. God would never treat them differently. He would call them all to the same standard We should too. And the last part of treating everyone the same means we should care for people's whole life. Not just their work. Yes, they're fellow employees. Yes, they are um, a peer. Uh, They're a vendor. They're a, a customer. Care for people's lives. You know, Pastor Tony was telling a story a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember where it was. Here, right? About an employee that ultimately ended up, uh, they lost a child. And uh, his uh, girlfriend miscarried. 
which are like, oh, girlfriend, pregnant. Like, in that moment, right, that just doesn't even matter. He just cared for that man's life and the brokenness that he was experiencing and saw an opportunity not to shove the gospel in his face, but to show him the beauty and nature in Jesus, of Jesus. And what was laid before him, even in the midst of his suffering and his hurt. I mean, we spend more time at work than we do at home, awake, typically. We have the most vast mission field available to us. These people are coming to work. So many of them, they hate their life. They're escaping home to come to work. And then they get beaten up at work by an angry boss that hates their life too. They're not getting paid what they deserve or what they want. And so they're not happy about that either. They look at the world around them and they see how broken the world is. They can't even share their own uh, uh, identity as it relates to faith or uh, their political preference or their sexual preference for fear of just absolutely being destroyed. And so they just put themselves into this little bubble and they do their job and pray to God that they don't explode in the time that they're there. And yet for eight, nine, ten, for some of you, 20 hours a day, however long you work, you sit alongside them. And you have an opportunity to show them Jesus. To demonstrate the character and nature of a God who came down to save the worst and make them the greatest. You have an opportunity to be kind to love people regardless of what they look like or even act like. You have an opportunity to show people that your title, your paycheck are not your God. And all the while, here's the best part about this, by the way. As everyone's watching, we as Christians should seek to be the greatest. Like, all of these things can often sound like, well, I just need to go to work and lay down. I just need to go to work, work hard, but I don't really want to ruffle too many feathers. No, no. You should want to stand at the top step of the podium. You should want to run companies. You should want to change the world. If God calls you to make billions and billions of dollars, do not run from what God calls you to. We should want to be the most successful, whatever that looks like for you in the workplace. Because that's honoring to God. To do as much with what God calls you to. So seek after that. But ultimately, here's, even the, here's an even better thing. Though everybody is watching, and you are called to honor and glorify God to the best of your ability every single day in the workplace, you and I, we ultimately have an audience of one. And he is watching our every move. 
And here's the craziest part about it. Whether we succeed or we fail, He is pleased. He gives us grace upon grace. He extends mercy to us. He doesn't care what title we have. He doesn't care how much money we make. What an amazing opportunity we have. A good work, a good call on our life to go and work as God has called us to work. To create, to care for, and to cultivate the world around us. We very much image the way God worked in the beginning by just stepping into the call God has on our life now. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, for the ways in which, God, we can see the beauty of how you worked. And while we will never perfectly be like you, there are so many ways that we can strive to image Christ in the workplace. Whether that be in the home, in the garden, in an office, working for a big company or working for ourselves, whether we're a carpenter or the president of the United States. We are called because you have called us to honor you and to glorify you to the best of our ability in all that we do. And so would you empower us? Would you help us to continue to do that? We thank you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.